my favorite things in worship to just look around and just to see us worshiping together as a family. It is one of the most beautiful sights to see, to see God's creation worshiping together in community. I mean, it's the greatest expression uh, that we have as a community. So I'm just so grateful that we get to worship together. Amen. Well, good morning, church. My name is Pastor Rose. I serve as one of the associate pastors here at Sanctuary, uh, uh, serving in the area of family ministry. And again, I want to welcome you to church this morning. It seems like every Sunday lately is like this big feat, this big adventure to see how we will get to church on Sunday. But we're here together. Praise God. Amen. Well, again, if you're a first-time visitor, I want to just welcome and say we are so glad that you're with us this morning. It is always, again, a gift that we get to worship together, and especially when we have newcomers with us. So welcome again. Church, would you pray with me this morning? Lord God, we count it such a privilege to humble ourselves and to praise and glorify you, God. God, it is such a humbling experience to, to praise you for your goodness and faithfulness, Lord. It is the greatest gift that we have. Lord, I am so grateful this morning, so humbled that we get to be a part of this church, the Sanctuary Covenant Church, Lord. God, we thank you so much that we are on this journey together, this journey of reconciliation and restoration of your creation, Lord. And God, this morning as we dig into your word, as we see more clearly the real you, God, we thank you that you are true and authentic. God, we ask that we, as your your followers, as your servants, that we ourselves would be found to be true and to be authentic to who we say we are. God, we ask for your spirit this morning. Lord, it is a humbling thing to see your son and how he lived on this earth and to try to emulate, to try to follow in his footsteps. Lord, it is humbling because we know that we cannot do it without your grace. We can't do it without your strength and your courage, Lord. So God, we ask for that this morning. God, as we dive into your word and see how you are true, we ask, Lord, that you would give us that strength. And Lord, as we continue in this series, as we continue as a community to live out this full year in our whole lives to live Jesus, God, we ask that you would challenge us this morning, speak to us this morning. God, we pray that, again, we would be found faithful as we follow you, Lord. God, we pray for the church globally, that we as a church would be a witness to what is true, to what is good, to what is just and what is right. God, the world needs the church to be that witness so desperately. So God, help us here in this this neighborhood, this part of the city, this place that you love so dearly, help us to be that witness, Lord. This is our earnest and our humble prayer this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Whoa. 
Well, church, our sermon series since uh, the beginning of the year is called Beautiful Outlaw. And this sermon series is, is centered on the book uh, by John Eldridge. And, it, and the purpose of this series, as we look at Jesus as this beautiful outlaw, is to really help us understand and wrestle with the many facets of who Jesus is, of his personality. Because we know that Jesus was fully God, of course. He was divine. He performed miracles. He, he did what was impossible. He restored all of creation. But Jesus was also fully human. He got hungry and tired like us. He felt great sadness and joy. He even got angry. And in this series, we've considered some of the more nuanced aspects of Jesus' personality. And I hope that in this series that you have been challenged, that all of us have been challenged to see Jesus in a new, a more true and real way. Because after all, our prayer throughout this whole series has been very simple. Our prayer for this series has been, Jesus, I ask for you, I ask for the real you. And this morning, these traits that we've looked at, and this, this prayer in particular, builds upon one another, and it really culminates in today's theme that Jesus is true. Jesus is true in his personality. He is consistent. He's authentic in who he is and in his mission on earth. Jesus is also the embodiment of all truth. And part of his mission on earth is to share the truth of who he is. Jesus is the Son of God. Amen. Well, today we are going to consider how Jesus is true. And I want to ask ourselves two questions this morning. Two questions. And the first question is, am I crafting an illusion or cultivating God's true image? Am I crafting this illusion or am I cultivating God's true image in myself? Well, nine years, almost exactly to the day, I was interviewing for a job. Now, at the time, my husband, Ryan, and I were living in Southern California. Uh, he was finishing up his master's degree. I had just finished mine the year before, and I was working two jobs at the time to support our, our livelihood in this like, teeny, tiny, moldy, gross apartment in Southern California where the rent is like extremely high. And so I was working as an editor at a publishing company, and I was also a children's ministry director at a local megachurch. And this job that I was interviewing for was here at the sanctuary. Yes, amen, right? <laughs> I'm glad that one worked out, right? And after a few months of interviewing, I was doing Skype calls. I even had, there were even members of the search team who came out to visit us in California. After that, I was extended a call to uh, an offer to serve here as sanctuary. And it was in my um, original position as the director of Royal Hood, which is our children's ministry. And it was there in my, our little tiny apartment, uh, the first home that Ryan and I shared together as newlyweds. It was in our bedroom that I decided unequivocally three things, okay? First, I decided that I would accept the position that we'd relocate to Minneapolis, and that we would be committed to being a part 
of North Minneapolis. The second, I vowed never, never to preach or to speak at sanctuary ever. Yeah, guess who's laughing now, right? And third, I decided that I thought that I needed to figure out how to craft a version of myself that I thought would make me a successful leader at Sanctuary. Now, church, let me say a few things. The first decision was very wise, and it's been a blessing to serve at Sanctuary for almost nine years now. The second, thank you, thank you. (laughs) Now, the second decision was just comical. I mean, please, we have to laugh about that, right? Now, I just picture God, because remember, God is playful, right? We've learned that in the series. So I just picture God taking that moment when I uttered these words to my husband that I would never preach, and I picture God making it into this meme and, like, sharing it all throughout the heavenly realms and, like, having a good laugh with everyone, and God saying, do you think I'd really call you into ministry and not expect you to preach and teach my word? right? It's a a good laugh now. And finally, the third decision was simply misguided and immature. And it's as simple as that. I thought that to be a successful and relevant pastor at Sanctuary, that I thought that it meant that I had to be overly outgoing, super funny, always happy, high energy. Because I held the assumption that a good pastor is an extroverted pastor. Because after all, a main facet of uh, ministry, of course, is relationships. And a church, I thought, like sanctuary, needed me to be this bubbly, lively leader, this outgoing person. Well, I quickly learned from trial and error, as well as trial and unfulfillment, as well as the guidance from our former pastor, Pastor Dennis, that being an introverted quieter, organized, deliberate leader was not a deficit. It was not a deficit because it's being true to myself, true to God's image in me. Now, serving at sanctuary after that became a lot more fulfilling. It also became a lot more authentic and God-glorifying when I realized that. But it wasn't easy and it wasn't overnight. It wasn't something that I realized one day and then changed my habits the next day. It took intentionality. It took ownership. It took work, church. I had to do the work of confronting very deep and hard truths about myself and why I wanted to craft that illusion in the first place instead of embracing God's true image in me. So I had the amazing blessing to seek out the guidance of an amazing therapist, a very wise spiritual director. Please seek out those for yourself in your journey. It is just incredible when we walk in partnership with other people and have professional gifts in these areas. I also got to sit under the mentorship of Pastor Dennis, and I began to claim God's true image in me. And you know what, church? I found someone that I loved, my true self. Amen. And God gets all the glory for any fruit that comes from that because there has been growth. Amen. 
And I know that that story is not mine alone. While I'm looking at scripture this morning and looking at how Jesus is this beautiful outlaw, the son of God with this multifaceted personality, we see that Jesus is the perfect example of being true, of being authentically aligned in God's true image instead of crafting this illusion of himself. So we're going to open up scripture this morning. So if you have your Bible, please open it up. We're going to look at Matthew chapter 4. And here in verses 1 through 11, we see Jesus as he is being tempted by Satan. And Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 11 says this. Then Jesus was led up by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. He fasted 40 days and 40 nights, and after he was famished. The tempter came and said to him, If you are the Son of God, command these stones to become loaves of bread. But he answered, It is written, One does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and placed him on the pinnacle of the temple, saying to him, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down, for it is written, He will command his angels concerning you. And on their hands they will bear you up, so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. Jesus said to him, Again, it is written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. And he said to them, All these I will give you if you fall down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away with you, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Then the devil left him, and suddenly angels came and waited on him. Now we could easily read this passage this morning, and we could be tempted to think of it more as this trivia session between the devil and Satan, trying to look up and refer to different verses. But this was a genuine test of Jesus' character. This was a genuine test of what his true identity was. Jesus was at his most vulnerable here. He had fasted for 40 days and 40 nights, and he even needed the angels to come to him afterward and care for him after such a grueling test. Now look, if it was me... I'd be crying for food after like a few hours, let alone like multiple days. I'd definitely be hangry. And you don't want to see Pastor Rose hangry, okay? So church, I hope that you learn from my story. Because I thought that crafting an illusion would be better than cultivating God's true image in me. But we see from Jesus' example that Jesus has been tested and Jesus has been found to be true. When you are tested, are you found to be true? Or are you crafting an illusion? Now, in the world of social media, it is all too easy to craft an illusion. Amen? Amen. It is hard to decipher what is real, who is real, like what. Maybe you're crafting an illusion that life is just so perfect. Or that you're maybe committed more to your values in your newsfeed 
then you actually are in practicing them in reality. Or that your worth comes from likes and shares and comments and, and this illusion of being this online influencer instead of actually being a living, breathing disciple of Jesus Christ. It is not easy to be a disciple in the 21st century. Now in Matthew... Uh, chapter 14, verses 6 through 10, we see a very dangerous manifestation of illusion. And here it says, uh, But when, when Herod's birthday came, the daughter of Herodias danced before the company, and she pleased Herod so much that he promised on oath to grant whatever she might ask. Prompted by her mother, she said, Give me the head of John the Baptist here on a platter. The king was grieved. Yet out of regard for his oaths and his, for his guests, he commanded it to be given. He sent and had John beheaded in the prison. Now there are a lot of toxic things happening in this, in this passage, right? First, there's the unjust death of John the Baptist. Second, we see that Herod has this unbridled power that he's using. And the third, we see that Herod what he did in the first place, that, that because he was overcome by his lust for a woman, that he would please her to any end, and his drive to please his dinner guests. That, that's crazy. The shallowness of Herod is astounding, church. So we, how often, though, have we ourselves made poor decisions because we also feel the pull and the pressure of other people? That's a hard one. What illusion are you crafting or, or, or um, creating for other people to see? What illusion might you be hiding behind, church? Now, in addition to asking ourselves this question this morning, am I crafting an illusion or am I cultivating God's true image? We will be wise to take Jesus' example in Matthew 4. And this morning, we must assess ourselves through, through Jesus' example. So if we want to cultivate God's true image in us, then we have to assess three things in our own life. Our motivation our power, and our worship. So first, motivation. Now, when Jesus is being tempted, the interesting thing about the devil's motivation is for Jesus to prove his identity. He says, if you are the son of God. So the devil here is asking him about Jesus' identity. Are you really the son of God? Can you prove that? The devil's motivations are, are proving who Jesus is. But Jesus' motivations, of course, are completely different. Jesus wasn't concerned about proving who he was to Satan. Jesus instead was motivated to live truly as God's beloved son, to live truly as the son of God. The devil was concerned about proving he was the son of God, but Jesus already knew his identity, and he simply was living it out in truth. Can you see the difference, church? Can you see the difference here that if we are crafting an illusion of ourselves, we're trying to prove ourselves to people. 
And proving ourselves to people usually means that we're adapting ourselves to fit people's desires, to fit people's uh, expectations of us. But if we're cultivating God's true image, that requires us to live as a beloved son and daughter of God, to live that out in the world, in all spheres, and with all people, in all circumstances. So are we this chameleon changing in every situation and conversation that we have? Or are we true in our identity as a son or a daughter of God? Church, we have nothing to prove. That's got to be like the most fulfilling and freeing statement to say that we have nothing to prove. Because we are fully created in God's image. And if we want to live in God's image, then we have to assess what is our motivation. Second, we need to assess our power and how we use it. Now, we th- when we think about crafting an illusion of ourselves, a corrupt version of power is usually interwoven in dangerous ways, isn't it? So when we ask ourselves, do I use or seek power for my gain? or for God's purpose of restoring creation? How do we use power? How do we seek power? Now, Satan tempted Jesus with power multiple times. But it's kind of interesting, don't you think, that Satan would even tempt him with power when he already has all the power and authority from God? Isn't that interesting? But the kind of power that Satan was tempting and to lure Jesus with is a power that comes without a cost. It's a power. Jesus knew that that all of creation would be restored. He knew that he would defeat sin and death, but it would happen through suffering, through death. So Satan was tempting him with this power and authority that comes without pain and turmoil. And it's a pretty tempting offer, don't you think? All the power at no personal cost? I mean, as a white person, this is exactly the danger of white power and privilege, that it comes at no cost. And what's worse, worse, we often don't even acknowledge or even comprehend that we even have power without a cost. It's just the norm. So for me as a white woman, seeking to be true like Jesus I have to assess the power that's given to me in society. I have to acknowledge that it came at no cost to me. And it's a temptation to live and think I can continue and use that power. So in seeking to be true like Jesus, I must acknowledge that power. I must use it to bring about restoration and creation. Or better yet, yield that power to others. So in assessing your power, As you think about what power do I have, how do I use it? As we seek to be true like Jesus, I can almost guarantee our assessments of power are going to look different. In a multi-ethnic church, we will think about power in different ways, and that's good. So maybe as a person of color, you're striving to be true like Jesus, and you'll assess how you are using your God-given power to lead us to lead us in the restoration of, of creation, to lead us for, towards full justice in the world. And please, lead us in truth and lead us in power. We 
like Jesus' multifaceted personality, this is a multifaceted assessment in a multi-ethnic church. Now finally, in striving to be like Jesus, true like Jesus, we need to assess our worship. Now when we are crafting an illusion of ourselves, our prayers are probably centered on only ourselves. They're probably a, a plea that we won't be discovered for who we truly are. But when we're cultivating God's true image, our prayers are centered on Jesus' words and his rebuke to Satan when he says, Worship the Lord your God and serve only him. Are we praying that we live a life that glorifies and serves God? Or are we praying only for self-gain and for notoriety? What are we praying for? What are our prayers focused on? Are we worshiping the image of God that we've created of God? Or are we worshiping the one who created us in God's image? Do you use your prayers and your worship to boast about this pious lifestyle that you have? Or does your worship boast about the one true and living God? How does your worship glorify God, the one who created you truly in God's image? Now I'm looking about at how Jesus is true. This morning we asked that first question. Am I cultivating an illusion? Am I crafting an illusion or am I cultivating God's true image? Well, our second question for today, church, is one that we ask collectively. It's one we ask in community, and it's are we a witness to the truth? Are we a witness to truth together? Now, as a church, we are committed to sharing truth of the gospel in the world. Amen? Right? We are committed to sharing the truth in the world. But the question of truth is one of the most pressing questions of our culture today, isn't it? If the generation before us needed a Jesus of love coming from a strict and judgmental church experience, then the, the church today, living in a world where facts and truth are so fluid and subjective, the world needs Jesus as truth today. Amen? The church and the world needs Jesus as truth. We need today Jesus as truth. The church should be the loud voice in the world that distinguishes between what's true and what's false, what's real and what's an illusion. This is a major facet of our mission in today's society and culture. Are we together a witness to truth? Now, Jesus himself was an embodiment of the truth. And he called his disciples to be a witness to the truth. And Jesus commands us to share God's deepest desire for the full restoration of creation. And we do that today as a church by living out the values of the kingdom here in our city together. And so in assessing how we might do that together, how we might be the truth together, I want to ask us to assess ourselves as a community in two ways. If we are to be a witness of truth, then we must assess first our communal identity. Who are we together? And then assess our solidarity with one another in community. 
If we do those things, church, I believe that sanctuary will be a witness to truth. And it will be a witness that the church and the world desperately needs today. So church, I want us to consider the story of Jesus when he sends out the 72. And he sends them out two by two in Luke. In Luke chapter 10, verses 1 through 23. And there are a few characteristics of their mission that strike me in this partnership journey in sharing the gospel together. So it's implied that Jesus sends out the 72 and that they are going out as followers of Jesus, right? It's pretty simple. And they are to take what they have learned, what they have experienced with Jesus, they are to share it with the world. But they couldn't share the good news of the kingdom and the the amazing miracles and works of Jesus without first understanding the identity of Jesus. And their new identity as followers of Christ. They had to know who are we as we share this message. Now as a church sanctuary, we need to do the same thing. If we want to be a witness to the truth, then we need to know who we are collectively, who we are together. Now, I shared earlier that when I was in California, I worked in, um, at a publishing company, and I had the amazing opportunity to work with many different incredible authors. And one author I had the opportunity to work with and have a very small part in the production of her book um, was Dr. Choi Hee-An. And her book is called A Post-Colonial Self, Korean Immigrant Theology and Church. Now, Dr. Choi is a professor at Boston University, where I'm studying right now. And her book talks about something that's so helpful for the church today. She talks about the Korean ethnic self. And in it, she juxtaposes the Western and the Eastern understandings of self and identity. Now, as Westerners, we develop our identity as defining ourself. Who am I? Who is me? Who is Pastor Rose, you know? It's done in a devoted, I take this incredible amount of time. We place so much energy in knowing who we are. And often we define ourselves and notice ourselves in relation in in terms of how we're different from other people. This is a major way that modern Western society has taught us to develop ourselves, to develop our own identity. But what Dr. Choi shares is the Eastern understanding of self and identity. That it's not preoccupied in asking only about who I am, but the concept of the Korean ethnic self starts with the unification about who I am and who you are, who we are together. Who I am in relationship to you who we are together. It's this communal self. It's this collective consciousness together. So this is important, church, as we seek to be a witness to truth as a community. Now, I often ask myself, who am I in relationship to the community at Sanctuary? Which is a good question. But in reading Dr. Choi's work, I'm challenged anew to ask, who are we at Sanctuary? And not just who are we in terms of what we do and what we value, but who makes up our community? Who, knowing not just um, who, a belief about who we are, but actually knowing who we are, knowing one another first. 
Do you see the difference there that she's sharing? Because I can dissect the values and the attributes of sanctuary as a whole, but how can I do that authentically if I don't know who we are first? Knowing who others are is just as important as knowing ourselves if we're going to be a community together. Amen. So in short, relationship together is vital as we share and witness the truth. If we don't know one another, we can't form a collective identity together, and we can't witness to truth together. Second, we have to act in solidarity with one another. As we pursue truth together, we have to act in solidarity together. Now, when Jesus was sending out the 72, he was intentional about two things. First, that he sent uh, the disciples out in pairs. They weren't alone. He sent them out two by two. And then the second, he warned them of the dangers and the cost of their journey together, that it would be difficult. Now, as we seek to be a witness to truth and community uh, in the world, it is vital that we first do the work together, but we also understand that it won't be easy. Now, as a church, our vision is to be an urban, multi-ethnic, multiplying movement, reconciling people to God and to one another. And it can be tempting, especially for us white folks, to assume that reconciliation can be uh, reduced down to simply being together or sitting next to each other on a Sunday morning. But we know that reconciliation means so much more than that. It's so much richer and harder than just that. That Jesus was clear that the work would be difficult, that it would take risk, that especially to those in power, it would be, there would be a cost. That's solidarity. So as white folks, saying that we're committed to God's work of justice, it means that we are willing to take risks. It means that we acknowledge the painful past as well as the presence of racism in ourselves and in our white community. It means that we work to repair what's been broken, that we centralize our brothers and sisters of color to lead us in the work of restoration. That, can you imagine what that witness of truth would be in the world? It means that when we sing this morning the words of lift every voice, when it says, out from the gloomy past till now we stand at last where the white gleam of our star is cast, that we don't dare think for a moment that we are the white savior in the progress towards black liberation. That the journey, the journey towards truth is one that we listen, that we learn, that we follow as the marginalized lead us. So as we form this communal identity, as we form this communal identity for the sake of being a witness to truth, our solidarity, it doesn't mean sameness. It doesn't mean that we'll all become chameleons, because after all, we're striving to be our true selves. And it means that solidarity, that we'll share in one another's burdens, that we'll understand the pain and the depth of that injustice has caused in our, in our body. And if we can't do that, then we can't be a witness to the truth together. So, church, I want to invite the worship team as... Uh, 
we begin to close. And today, church, I want to ask us again these two questions today as we seek to understand how Jesus is true and how we seek to live out Jesus. So are you crafting an illusion or are you cultivating God's true image? And together, are we a witness to the truth? Are we a witness to what is true individually? Are you the same person on a Sunday morning that you are Monday morning at work? Are you the same person in your men's basketball team as you are in your life group? Are you the same person on the phone with customer service as you are greeting one another on church on Sundays? Now these questions, church, don't imply that we're static, that we're inflexible, that we can't have varying diversity even in ourselves. But are you living in God's true image in yourself? In all facets of your life, are you living true? Are you an illusion? And as a church sanctuary, are we seeking to bring about God's restoration of creation and living out God's values in the kingdom? In order to proclaim that uh, truth in our city, do we even know one another? Do we even know who we are? Are we committed to witnessing and community and solidarity together? Are we willing as people in the dominant culture to give up our power, to follow marginalized voices in the pursuit of justice? Are we willing to march on together till victory is won? Church, let's stand together this morning. Church, in this series, we have been praying Jesus, I ask for you, for the real you. So as a pastor, I ask you the the same. I want the real you. And I want you to know who is the true me. Jesus is true and authentic because he couldn't restore all of creation living as a fraud. And we can't join in his work if we're living out as a fraud ourselves. The same is true for us, church. Jesus is asking for the real us, individually and corporately together. Will we be a witness to God's truth in our lives, in our church? I pray that we will do that work together, church. So let's pray. Lord God, God, I thank you so much for your truth this morning. The truth that you have created us in your image the truth that you desire us to live authentically in all places with all people in all circumstances, that you have also called us as a community to share this truth about who you are, God, in the world, that you love deeply every person, that you desire justice and restoration in your creation, God. So we pray, Lord, individually, that we would know who we are, who you have created us to be. Give us spaces, Lord, to discover that with you. Give us people to encourage us along the way as we discover who we are, who you've created us to be. And God, as as a church body, help us to know one another. Just help us to know deeply who the person is next to us, God. You've given us a clear vision, Lord, a clear vision to worship you, to seek restoration, to bring justice in the world. 
So God, help us to do that in solidarity, Lord, in authentic solidarity. So God, as we sing this morning, may we reflect on its diverse meaning. God, as we celebrate Black History Month, as we celebrate its collective history and culture and the vision, give us that collective vision to work for your justice together. And may we do that in a true, authentic, and honoring way to you, Lord God, in you alone. In Jesus' name we pray.